I get tired of the typical hero story. Okay, this is a story you're familiar with. Uh, here's the typical hero story. You see this in countless movies and books, television shows. Here's the basic plot outline. Okay, it starts with a young hero who has a dream or an ambition, something that he or she is going to do that is great and important and wonderful. This person has a dream, but there is a problem. Okay, nobody believes in the dream. Okay, or very few people see this same vision that the young hero has. No one thinks that this young person can accomplish this goal. But is our hero deterred? No. So what does the hero do? He tries to do some early thing early on in our story. He tries to fulfill this dream that he has. But does he succeed? No. He meets with many early failures or obstacles. Things never go right the first time the hero in the story tries to accomplish their goal. But is our young hero deterred? No. That's where you say no, right? Okay, if you're following along, right? And no. Our young hero picks himself up, dusts himself off, and then through hard work and determination, maybe through the sage advice of some older mentor, the hero climbs up, surprises everybody, and wins some terrific goal. A great victory is achieved. You've heard this story before? Okay. This, sorry. Every Disney movie. Okay, there's lots of stories that follow this outline, right? This is the story of President Lincoln. He had a dream to do something great for his country. He overcame impossible odds. He lost a bunch of elections, but eventually he became president. Okay, this is the story of Luke Skywalker. He can't possibly become a Jedi. He loses his first encounter with, with Darth Vader, but then by episode 6, he's ready with some training from his wise mentor Yoda to save the galaxy. Okay, this is the story of Rocky. This is the story of the Mighty Ducks. This is the Lord of the Rings. This is Braveheart. Okay, you can probably think of dozens of movies that follow this same tired storyline. Okay, in the Bible, this is kind of the story of Joseph, right? He has a dream, right? literally in his case. It's a dream. Nobody believes in the dream. He's sold into slavery, but then through incredible faithfulness, he rises to become second only to Pharaoh over all of Egypt. He saves his family. He saves the covenant. And the best part of that story is he gets to rub his brother's face in it, right? It's the same story. You know, I was looking for a video illustration this morning on failure. Um, and while I was looking for, for a sermon illustration in video form, I came across the story of a young woman named Laura Wilkinson. Okay, she wanted to be an Olympic diver, all right? But then she broke her foot, and she thought her diving career could be over. And the dives that she was doing at the trials were barely good enough for her to make the Olympic team, and she thought that all was lost. But through hard work, through perseverance, through faith, she overcame her early defeats, and she went on to win the Olympic gold. Right, and I think, that it tells us something about our culture, that earlier in this week as I was doing searches for a good video on failure, I couldn't find videos about failure. What I found were videos about failures that ultimately led to success, right? Why? Because that's the only kind of failure that our culture tolerates. 
And we kind of like this story, okay, because it encourages us to dream. It encourages us to chase our dreams. Believe that you can do it. Just have more faith. You, too, could be just like this young woman. Just persevere. Don't let your failures get you down. Get back up and try again. If you reach for the stars, if you keep pushing, then you, too, can win whatever great victory you have set out for yourself. And yet, I tire of that story. I tire of the typical hero story for a couple of reasons. In the first place, it's tiring to me, uh, and be ready to get depressed if you weren't already there, right? But it's tiring to me because most of us will never win a gold medal or a championship. Most of us will never save the galaxy. We won't become president. All right, and I'm not trying to be depressing this morning. I'm not trying to kill anyone's dreams But if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that most of us will die with many of our hopes and dreams unfulfilled. In other words, I tire of this story because it's too clean, right? This doesn't really match up with the real lives that we live. Also, I tire of the typical hero story of perseverance leading to unbridled success, Okay, because if that's the story we're trying to live out, if that's our defining narrative, if that is our self-identity-forming story, then I'm afraid we're following the wrong Savior. Scripture teaches that we follow a crucified Lord. All right, Jesus is not the wise old sage who's helping us become the hero of our own story. Okay, the message of the Bible is that we are called to take up our cross and follow him. The message of Jesus to his apostles was to leave behind all of their dreams, leave behind all the things they were trying to achieve, leave behind their story, and follow instead with the story of Jesus. And based on how the apostles lived out the typical hero story, most of them were failures, including the apostle Paul, who we read about this morning. All right, notice how at the end of chapter 15, Paul gets autobiographical, starting verse 14. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Okay, so far so good, right? For Paul, his major life goal after his conversion to Christianity was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
Paul wanted to go throughout the Roman world and convert the Gentiles to Christianity. Okay, so by the time Paul writes Romans, he has been directly responsible for establishing churches throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire. He's been throughout Galatia and Ephesus to Corinth and Lystra and Derby. Who knows how many people have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ who now have faith in Jesus directly because of the evangelical work of Paul. Okay, as a missionary, Paul was a great success. So why do I call him a failure this morning? Keep reading, verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through there and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have reached, received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelieving in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. All right, later in Paul's life, for the last several decades of his life, Paul had two major goals, two big dreams, two things that he wanted to accomplish for the sake of the kingdom of God. In the first place, Paul wants desperately to evangelize the western portion of the Roman Empire. Okay, early in his ministry, Paul worked from Jerusalem and Antioch. Those were his home bases. And if you're looking at this map, you can see those are both in the far east. And what Paul did is he went from there to the major cities in that part of the Mediterranean world. First thing he would do was go to the synagogue. Very few people in the synagogues accepted Paul's message. So then he would preach among the Gentiles and establish churches in those cities. Okay, the furthest Paul goes on these missionary journeys is he finally makes it west to Rome. But Paul's not happy with just evangelizing the eastern part of the empire. Paul desperately wants to go west. Okay, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 52 in this text for a very specific reason. And that is because in that passage and several of those other passages about Isaiah, it prophesies that there is coming a day when all nations will hear this gospel message. All nations will know the God of Israel. And in these texts, it lists specific places in the world that will hear this message that our God is the one God. Paul knows that a lot of those places he hasn't been to yet. Some of those places are in North Africa. Some of those places are in the western part of the empire. Paul wants to finish what Isaiah sees will happen. 
Now, Paul's ministry of reconciliation is far more than just getting people saved. Okay, for Paul, it's not about numbers. He's not wanting to just write back to the church and say, hey, this number of thousands of people have come to believe in Christ. That's not what Paul is doing. What Paul wants to do is he wants to go into the very heart of the empire, into all these big cultural centers of paganism, and go to all of these major cities and proclaim that a savior, a king, a messiah exists apart from the one they know. Paul wants to go to all of these heart places in the empire and proclaim that Jesus really is Lord. Now, I could make a sermon here about how if we really want to minister like Paul, then what we do is we look at our culture, see where people around us falsely cry Lord, and teach them about the true Lord, right? What are our empire uh, idols, right? Is it chasing after the right smartphone and living on that? Okay, is it power? Is it tolerance? Is it sports? Okay, what idols do we need to confront with the lordship of Jesus? Okay, but Paul has a dream. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to meet with the church there, receive some support, and then use that as his launching point to go into Spain and the western part of the empire. Okay, and we don't know for sure, but it would make a whole lot of sense that if after Paul goes to Rome and after he goes to Spain and to the western part of the empire, if he would then come back to the east by way of North Africa. Okay, that would make a great phase three of his missionary journey. He could go to Carthage and Alexandria and all those big cities on the southern part of the Mediterranean in North Africa. And then at the end of that, he could say, Lord, I have done it. You told me to go to the Goyim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now the entire world has heard of Jesus. Paul is ready to go to Spain. Let's get rolling. But before Paul can put phase two of his missionary plan into practice, he wants to complete his other major gospel project. Okay, for about 20, 25 years before Paul writes Romans, he has been working on the collection for Jerusalem. Okay, we reference this in multiple letters in the New Testament. What Paul wants to do is he wants to take a collection of money from the Gentile churches and give it to the Jewish churches in Jerusalem. Now, Here's the background on this. We don't know exactly what prompted this great collection. It could well be that as Jews in Jerusalem were converting to Christianity, they were being put out of the synagogue and losing their jobs and losing their family support, and so they were poor and desperately needed some financial assistance. It could be that when Peter preaches his great sermon in Acts chapter 2 and several thousand people convert to Christianity, that what they did is they left their jobs back home and just stayed in Jerusalem to be part of this new Jesus movement, and they didn't have jobs, so they needed financial assistance. Okay, it could be there was a famine or some other natural thing that happened that we just don't know about, but whatever it is, the churches in Jerusalem, who are mostly Jewish, are very poor. And Paul looks at that and he says it's only appropriate for all of these churches in the rest of the empire, all of these Gentile churches, to support the Jewish churches financially. So Paul goes around and he collects funds from Galatia and Derbe and Lystra and Macedonia and Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi and Achaia and Corinth and Ephesus and Troas and Tyre and Cyprus and Caesarea and possibly other churches. Okay, this is a massive undertaking. You don't just send out a letter asking for support and then have people wire the money to you. 
Okay, Paul has to go from church to church in the entire eastern half of the Roman Empire and collect this money and then hand deliver it to Jerusalem. All right, and Paul does this for a couple of reasons. Okay, in the first place, Paul does this because he genuinely wants to help the poor. Right? He knows that Jesus had a heart for the poor. Paul wants to do the same thing. Okay, but more importantly, Paul wants to demonstrate that this is one church. If all of these Gentile churches can support these Jewish churches, if all of them can come together, then it will be tangible proof that the gospel works. This will demonstrate that there is no Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female, but that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul longs for the church to truly function as the kingdom of God. Okay, now at this point, we could preach a sermon on the importance of giving to a cause bigger than ourselves. Right? In other words, if all the money we collect here just goes to support things that we want to do here for us, then we're doing church wrong. Right? Okay, we could also preach a sermon at this point talking about how if the gospel doesn't bring people together who wouldn't normally be together, then we're doing church wrong, right? If we don't have to give up our identities for the bigger identity of Christ, then we're not really the church, right? All right, but I want us to look at Paul's goals, his two major goals that he had at the end of his life, his two big dreams. His first dream was to evangelize the West. His second dream was to demonstrate that the church really could bring these different people together. He wanted the church to be unified. Can you think about these goals? These are more important than winning a gold medal. Right? These are more important than winning a championship. This is more important than becoming president. This is more important than even winning freedom for a nation. Okay, Paul's goals are literally about bringing the kingdom of God to fruition on earth. Okay, let's look at how Paul fared with his goals. Okay, number one, Paul never made it to Spain. He never finished his missionary task. There was no phase two of Paul's missionary journeys. He succeeded in a bunch of churches in the east, never made it west. When he eventually did get to Rome, they killed him in Rome. Paul failed to take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And, you know, you can almost hear Paul arguing with God, right? As Paul sits in prison, you can almost hear him say, God, I want to go to the next city and preach. And God telling him, no, you're going to sit in prison for a while. And while you're there, I want you to do a little bit of writing. And Paul say, well, but Lord, think of how many people I can reach with this gospel message. If only you would let me out of prison, let me go to the next city. If I just sit here and write letters, what good will that do? And God's saying, well, why don't you just trust me on this and write for a little while? Okay, we'll call that one Philippians, that one Ephesians, that one Colossians, and so on, right? God's plans were different than Paul's plans. And I think that Paul had the maturity to say, if I go to Spain, great. If I sit in prison, that's fine too. God's kingdom is all that matters. Praise God. Let's look at his second goal. All right, the unity that Paul hoped would inspire, that would come about because of this great collection he was undertaking, never happened. 
Right? It seems that Paul did successfully collect money from all these Gentile churches, and Paul did in fact make it to Jerusalem to hand over this money to the Jewish Christians there. Okay? But the conflict between Jewish and Gentile Christians never ended. It never even slowed down because of Paul's collection. Okay, when we read in the book of Acts, and Luke records all of these great things that Paul did, he doesn't even mention this big collection. Okay, in fact, we know that the Jew-Gentile conflict continued until finally the Gentiles outnumbered the Jews by such a large margin that the Jewish church just basically ceased to exist. It got really small. Paul's goal failed. But I think Paul had the maturity to say, you know what? If I bring unity through this collection, great. If I simply succeed in helping poor people, that's fine too. God's kingdom is all that matters. Praise God. You know, I remember uh, several years ago uh, when I was at the ripe old age of 24, uh, and I went to a little town called Terrell, Texas, just outside of Dallas, to begin my first full-time ministry work with a church there. I remember before we even got started, I sat down with the shepherds of that church, and we talked about vision, right? We talked about what it was going to look like as I ministered there with them and all of the Christians at that church and what we wanted to do in Terrell, Texas. And we had a lot of dreams, a lot of things we wanted to do. We wanted to reach out to the other side of town that didn't talk to our side of town, and we wanted to bring greater unity. We wanted to evangelize amongst different senior citizens' homes that we were involved in. We had a lot of really big plans for what we wanted to do to help that church in Terrell, Texas to grow. The vast majority of those plans failed. Today, we are in January of 2017. As I think about this upcoming year here at Gwinnett Church of Christ, I've got plans. Okay? I want to do more to reach out to people when they move into the neighborhoods around us, right? We've got a lot of new building going on in neighborhoods right close to our church. I want to do a lot of things to get some of those people to come here and be part of us. I want to do more to follow up with people when they visit us. Okay, I think there's some things that I want to do personally to help us do more uh, visitor outreach so that when people do visit us, we follow up with them better. Okay? We're doing some of that right now, and it's all going very well, but there's some more stuff that I want us to do. Right? I want to see how we might be able to do more with the people we connect with at the co-op. Okay, I want to get more people involved in our connection groups. I've got lots of plans for what I want to see us as a church do in 2017. Will any of my plans succeed? I don't know. Based on my history of making plans, some of them will, and a whole bunch of them won't. You know, I have heard our shepherds here talk about how little of what happened here was expected. Okay, when they were all dreaming and starting the church that became the Gwinnett Church of Christ, they thought it was going to go one direction, and constantly God's taken it different directions. You know, we've become a church largely, well, okay, most of the people that have placed membership at this church since I've been here have come for one of two reasons. Okay, either they are here um, because they are uh, what typically we call unchurched, they didn't have a whole lot of church background, okay, and they tried us as a church to be at for the first time, okay, and we were one of the first church homes that they've consistently been a part of, or people have largely come here because they've been hurt somewhere else. 
Okay, for a variety of reasons, they were injured somewhere else in their spiritual walk, and they've come to Gwinnett looking for a home, looking for family, looking for a place of healing. That's what our church is pretty good at, is being healing for people. That's a pretty good mission. Okay, that's a pretty good vision for something that we can do for people. If the full vision of this church was just though on what I could have seen years ago, which was before I was even here, I would have taken it a different direction. But you know what? God is using our church in ways that our vision couldn't have predicted. I think we ought to be okay with that. Fortunately, God's vision is bigger than my own, and God's agenda is not to help all of my plans work out. Faithfulness is not about living out the hero story we started with. It's about being content to play a bit role in whatever story God is writing around us. And that is a completely different way of looking at the world. Okay, so my one question for us this morning, the one thing if you're taking notes that I want you to write down, is, is my faith in a place where I can embrace my failure because I trust in God's success. As I enter into 2017 and enter into the rest of my life, I'm going to keep making plans. I'm going to keep dreaming. I'm going to keep casting these visions of things that I want to accomplish. But is my faith in a place where I recognize that the story I'm living out is not my story? The story that I'm living out is a story that God is writing, and I'm not the main character. So long as I keep myself as the main character in the story, I will constantly meet with failure. If I can get to a point in my faith, though, where I recognize that God is the main character, then I can't fail. If we make a bunch of plans, maybe we'll succeed, maybe we won't. If we keep striving towards faithfulness and prayer and proclaiming the name of Jesus, then we may or may not succeed, but God most certainly will. All right, at this point in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. If there's anything you'd like to discuss with us or have us pray with you over, anything that we can help you with, we want to be here for you during this song. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close with a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.